Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. In each episode, you may notice that a background track has been provided, like this. This is a result of my editorial decision to include a background track when there is some interaction between a human and a jinn, an otherworldly being that is a common race that frequently appears in these tales. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue the story of the first royal dervish in the continuation of night 11, night 12, and part of night 13. We also hear part of the story of the second royal dervish and encounter the jinn once again. However, unlike previous episodes, this time the jinn is named Jar Jaris and given a lineage which links him to Iblis, commonly known as Satan, providing evidence for the Islamic belief that Iblis was allowed to procreate. Jar Jaris clearly is placed in the category of those jinn who are unbelievers. Notice the themes that are present in both these stories and what social issues they are trying to convey aside from surface level interpretations. Auzubillah min shaitan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad Wasallam, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. 
and of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. My trouble continued and increased until I was almost mad, and I found no relief but in departing and returning to my father, but on my arrival at his capital, a party at the city gate sprang upon me and bound me. I was struck with the utmost astonishment, considering that I was the son of the sultan of the city, and that these were the servants of my father and of myself. Excessive fear of them had overcome me, and I said within myself, What hath happened to my father? I asked of those who had bound me the cause of this conduct, but they returned to me no answer, till after a while, when one of them, who had been my servant, said to me, Fortune hath betrayed thy father, the troops have been false to him, and the vizier hath killed him and we were lying in wait to take thee. They took me, and I was as one dead by reason of this news which I had heard respecting my father, and I stood before the vizier who had killed my father. Now there was an old enmity subsisting between me and him, and the cause of it was this. I was fond of shooting with the crossbow, and it happened one day that as I was standing on the roof of my palace, a bird alighted on the roof of the palace of the vizier, who was standing there at that time, and I aimed at the bird, but the bullet missed it, and struck the eye of the vizier, and knocked it out in accordance with the appointment of fate and destiny, as the poet hath said. We trod the steps appointed for us, and the man whose steps are appointed must tread them. He whose death is decreed to take place in one land will not die in any land but that. This was like the proverb expressed in the old lines. We walked with a pace that was decreed for us, and this is how those under fate's control must walk. A man destined to die in a certain land will not find death in any other. When I had thus put out the eye of the vizier, he could say nothing, because my father was sultan of the city. This was the cause of the enmity between him and me, and when I stood before him with my hands bound behind me, he gave the order to strike off my head. I said to him, Wouldest thou kill me for no offense? What offense, he exclaimed, would be greater than this? And he pointed to the place of the eye which was put out. I did that, said I, unintentionally. He replied, if thou didst unintentionally, I will do the same to thee purposely. And immediately he said, Bring him forward to me. And when they had done so, he thrust his finger into my left eye and pulled it out. Thus I became deprived of one eye, as ye see me. He then bound me firmly and placed me in a chest and said to the executioner, Take this fellow and draw thy sword and convey him without the city, then put him to death, and let the wild beasts devour him. Accordingly, he went forth with me from the city, and having taken me out from the chest, 
bound hand and foot, was about to bandage my eye and kill me, whereupon I wept and exclaimed, How many brothers have I taken as armor? And such they were, but to guard my enemies. I thought they would be as piercing arrows, and as such they were, but to enter my heart. I recited, I thought of you as a strong coat of mail, to guard me from the arrows of my foes, but you are now the arrowhead. I pinned my hopes on you in all calamities, when my right hand could no longer aid my left. Leave aside what censurers say, and let my enemies shoot their darts at me. If you do not protect me from my foes, at least your silence neither hurts me nor helps them. These are also other lines. I thought my brothers were a coat of mail. They were but for the enemy. I thought of them as deadly shafts. They were, but their points pierced my heart. The executioner, who had served my father in the same capacity and to whom I had shown kindness, said on hearing these verses, O oh my master, what can I do being a slave under command? But presently he added, Depart with thy life, and return not to this country, lest thou perish, and cause me to perish with thee. The poet said, Flee with thy life, if thou fearest oppression, and leave the house to tell its builder's fate. Thou wilt find for the land that thou quittest another, but no soul will thou find to replace thine own. As one of the poets has said, if you should meet injustice, save your life, and let the house lament its builder. You can replace the country that you leave, but there is no replacement for your life. I wonder at those who live humiliated, when God's earth is so wide. Send out no messenger on any grave affair, for only you yourself will give you good advice. The necks of lions would not be so thick, were others present to look after them. As soon as he thus said, I kissed his hands, and believed not in my safety, until I had fled from his presence. The loss of my eye appeared light to me, when I considered my escape from death, and I journeyed to my uncle's capital, and presenting myself before him, informed of what had befallen my father, and of the manner in which I had lost my eye upon which he wept bitterly, and said, Thou hast added to my trouble and my grief, for thy cousin hath been lost for some days, and I know not what hath happened to him, nor can any one give me information respecting him. Then he wept again until he became insensible, and when he recovered he said, O my son, the loss of thine eye is better than the loss of thy life. Upon this I could no longer keep silence respecting his son, my cousin, so I informed him of all that happened to him, and on hearing this news he rejoiced exceedingly, and said, Show me the tomb. By Allah, O my uncle, I replied, I do not know where it is, for I went afterwards several times to search for it, but could not recognize its place. We, however, went together to the burial ground, and looking to the right and left, I discovered it, and both I and my uncle rejoiced. I then entered the tomb with him, and when we had removed the earth, 
and lifted up the trap door, we descended fifty steps, and arriving at the bottom of the stairs, there issued forth upon us a smoke which blinded our eyes, whereupon my uncle pronounced those words which relieve from fear him who uttereth them, words that can never put to shame anyone who speaks them. There is no strength nor power but in Allah, the High, the Great. After this, we proceeded and found ourselves in a saloon filled with flour and grain and various edibles, and we saw there a curtain suspended over a couch upon which my uncle looked and found there his son and the woman who had descended with him lying side by side and converted into black charcoal as if they had been thrown into a pit of fire and when he beheld this spectacle he spat in his son's face and exclaimed this is what thou deservest o thou wretch this is the punishment of the present world and there remaineth the punishment of the other world which will be more severe and lasting and he struck him with his shoes night twelve Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twelfth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shanshah, that the dervish said to the lady of the house, to Jafar and the Khalifa, and the rest of the company that were listening, My uncle struck his son with his shoe, as he lay there, burned black as charcoal he went on astonished at this action and grieved for my cousin seeing him and the damsel thus converted into charcoal i said by allah o my uncle moderate the trouble of thy heart for my mind is perplexed by that which hath happened to thy son and by thinking how it hath come to pass that he and the damsel are converted into black charcoal does thou not deem it fit for him to be in this state that thou beatest him with thy shoes o son of my brother he replied this my son was from his early years inflamed with love for his foster sister and i used to forbid him from entertaining this passion for her and used to say within myself they are now children but when they grow older a base act will be committed by them and indeed i heard that such had been the case but i believed it not i however reprimanded him severely and said to him beware of so foul an action which none before thee hath committed nor will any commit after thee otherwise we shall suffer disgrace and disparagement among the sultans until we die and our history will spread abroad with the caravans and have a care for thyself that such an action proceed not from thee for i should be incensed against thee and killed thee i then separated him from her and her from him but the vile woman loved him excessively the devil got possession of them both and when my son saw that i had separated him he secretly made this place beneath the earth and having conveyed hither the provisions which thou seest he took advantage of my inadvertence when i had gone out to hunt and came hither but the truth whose perfection be extolled and whose name be exalted was jealously vigilant over them 
and consume them by fire, and the punishment of the world to come will be more severe and lasting. He then wept, and I wept with him, and he said to me, Thou art my son in his stead. I remained a while reflecting upon the world and its vicissitudes, upon the murder of my father by the vizier, and his usurping his throne, and the loss of my eye and the strange events which had happened to my cousin, and I wept again. We then ascended, and having replaced the trap-door and the earth above it, restored the tomb to its former state, returned to our abode. But scarcely had we seated ourselves when we heard the sounds of drums, kettle-drums and trumpets, the clatter of lances, the shouting of men, the clink of bridles, and the neighing of horses. Warriors galloped about, the sky was darkened by sand, and the air was filled with dust raised by the horses' hooves. Our minds were perplexed, not knowing what had happened, and the sultan, asking the news, was answered, The vizier of thy brother has slain him, and his soldiers and guards fitted out his troops, collected men, hired Bedouin, and came with his army like the sands that could not be numbered, and which no one could withstand, to assault the city unawares, and the inhabitants, being unable to withstand, have submitted to him. After this, my uncle was killed, and I fled to the edge of the city, whereupon I said within myself, If I fall into his hand, he will slay me. Grief overwhelmed me, and I thought of the calamities which had befallen my father and my mother, and knew not what to do. For if I appeared, the people of the city would know me, and the troops of my father would hasten to kill and destroy me. I knew no way of escape but to shave off my beard, so I shaved it, and having changed my clothes, departed from the city, and came hither to this abode of peace, in hopes that some person would introduce me to the prince of the faithful, the Khalifa of the Lord of all creatures, that I may relate to him my story and all that had befallen me. I arrived in this city this night, and as I stood perplexed, not knowing whither to direct my steps, I saw this dervish and saluted him and said, I am a stranger. He replied, And I too am a stranger. And while we were thus addressing each other, our companion, this third person, came up to us, and saluting us, said, I am a stranger. We replied, and we also are strangers. So we walked on together, the darkness overtook us, and destiny directed us on to your abode. This was the cause of the shaving of my beard, and the loss of my eye. The lady then said to him, Stroke thy head and depart. But he replied, I will not depart until I have heard the stories of the others. And they wondered at his tale. And the Khalifa said to Jafar, Verily I have never known the like of that which hath happened to this dervish. The second dervish then advanced, and having kissed the ground, said, O my mistress, I was not born with only one eye, but my story is wonderful, and if written, would serve as a lesson to him who would be admonished. The story of the second royal dervish. I am a sultan, and son of a sultan. I read the Quran according to the seven readings, and perused various works under the tuition of different learned professors of their subjects. I studied the science of the stars, 
and the writings of the poets, and made myself a proficient in all the sciences, so that I surpassed the people of my age. My handwriting was extolled among all the scribes, my fame spread among all countries, and my history among all sultans, and the sultan of India, hearing of me, requested my father to allow me to visit him, sending him various gifts and curious presents, such as were suitable to sultans. My father therefore prepared for me six ships, and we proceeded by sea for the space of a whole month, after which we came to land, and having disembarked some horses which we had with us in the ship, we loaded ten camels with presents and commenced our journey. But soon there appeared a cloud of dust, which rose and spread until it filled the air before us, and after a while cleared a little and discovered to us in the midst of it sixty horsemen like fierce lions whom we perceived to be arab highwaymen and when they saw us that we were a small company with ten loads of presents for the sultan of india they galloped towards us pointing their spears at us we made signs to them with our fingers and said we are ambassadors to the honored sultan of india therefore do us no injury but they replied we are not in his territories nor under his government. They slew certain of the young men, and the rest fled. I also fled. After I had received a severe wound, the Arabs being employed, without further regard to us, in taking possession of the treasure and presents which we had taken with us, I proceeded without knowing whither to direct my course, reduced from a mighty to an abject state, and journeyed till I arrived at the summit of a mountain, where I took shelter in a cavern until the next morning. I then resumed my journey and arrived at a flourishing city, the winter with its cold had passed away and the spring had come with its flowers flowers were blooming there were gushing streams and the birds were singing it fit the description of the poet a place whose citizens are subject to no fear and safety is the master there for its people it is a decorated shield its wonders being plain to see and i rejoiced at my arrival there being wearied with my journey anxious and pallid my condition being thus changed i knew not whither to bend my steps and turning to a tailor sitting in his shop i saluted him and he returned my salutation and welcomed me and wished me joy asking me the reason of my having come thither i acquainted him therefore with what had befallen me from first to last and he was grieved for me and said o young man reveal not thy case for i fear what the sultan of the city might do to thee since he is the greatest of thy father's enemies and hath a debt of blood against him he then placed some food and drink before me and we ate together and i conversed with him until night when he lodged me in a place by his shop and brought me a bed and a coverlet and after i had remained with him three days he said to me dost thou not know any trade by which to make gain i answered 
I am acquainted with the law, a student of sciences, a writer, and an arithmetician. Thy occupation, he said, is profitless in our country, since there is no one in our city acquainted with science or writing, but only with getting money. Verily, I replied, I know nothing but what I have told thee. Gird thyself then, said he, and take an axe and a rope, and cut firewood in the desert, and so obtain thy subsistence until Allah dispel thy affliction, but acquaint no one with thy history, else they will kill thee. He then brought for me an axe and a rope, and sent me with a party of woodcutters, giving them a charge respecting me. Accordingly, I went forth with them, and cut some wood, and brought back a load upon my head, and sold it for half a piece of gold, part of which I expended in food, laying by the remainder. Thus I continued for the space of a year, after which I went one day into the desert, according to my custom, to cut firewood, and finding there a tract with abundance of wood, I entered it, and came to a tree, around which I dug, and as I was removing the earth from its roots, the axe struck against a ring of brass, and I cleared away the wood from it, and found that it was affixed to a trapdoor of wood, which I immediately removed. Beneath it appeared a staircase, which I descended, and at the bottom of this I entered a door, and beheld a palace, strongly constructed, set with pillars, where I found a lady, like a pearl of high price, whose aspect banished from the heart all anxiety and grief and affliction, while her words would dispel worries and would leave a man, however intelligent and sensible, robbed of his senses. She was of medium height, with rounded breasts and soft cheeks. She was radiant and beautifully formed, with a face shining in the black night of her hair, while the gleam of her mouth was reflected on her breast. She was, as the poet said, dark hair and slimmed waisted. Her buttocks were like sand dunes, and her figure like that of a ban tree. There is another worse. There are four things never before united, except to pierce my heart and shed my blood a radiant forehead, hair like night, a rosy cheek, and a slim form. At the sight of her, I prostrated myself in adoration of her creator for the fairness and beauty which he had displayed in her person. And she, looking towards me, said, Art thou a man or a jinn? I answered her, I am a man. And who, she asked, hath brought thee to this place in which I have lived five and twenty years without ever seeing a human being. Her words sounded sweetly to me, and I answered her, O my mistress, Allah hath brought me to thy abode, and I hope will put an end to my anxiety and grief. And I related to her my story from beginning to end. She was grieved at my case, and wept, and said, Know that I am the daughter of the Sultan of the further parts of India, Sultan Iftamas, the lord of the Ebony Island. My father had married me to the son of my uncle, but on the night of my bridal festivities, an Ifrit named Jarjaris, the son of Rejmus, the son of Iblis, 
carried me off, and soaring with me through the air, alighted in this place, to which he conveyed all things necessary for me, such as ornaments and garments and linen and furniture and food and drink. And once in every ten days he cometh to me and spend a night here, and he hath appointed with me that in case of my wanting anything by night or day, I should touch with my hand these two lines which are inscribed upon the kube, and as soon as I remove my hand, I see him before me. Four days have now passed since he was last with me, and they remain, therefore, six days before he will come again. Wilt thou then remain with me five days, and depart one day before his visit? I answered, Yes, rejoicing at the proposal. And she arose, and taking me by the hand, conducted me through an arched door to a small and elegant bath, where I took off my clothes while she seated herself upon a mattress. After this, she seated me by her side, and brought me some sherbet of sugar infused with musk and handed it to me to drink she then placed some food before me and after we had eaten and conversed together she said to me sleep and rest thyself for thou art fatigued i slept on my mistress and forgot all that had befallen me and when i awoke i found her rubbing my feet upon which i called to her and we sat down again and conversed a while and she said to me by Allah, I was straitened in my heart. Living here alone, without any person to talk with me five and twenty years, praise be to Allah who hath sent thee to me. Then she asked me whether I would like some wine, and when I said yes, she went to the cupboard and produced old wine in a sealed flask. She then set out some green branches, took the wine, and recited, Had I known you were coming, I would have spread my heart's blood or the pupils of my eyes. My cheeks would have been a carpet when we met, so that you could have walked over my eyelids. I thanked her for her kind expressions, and love of her took possession of my heart, and my anxiety and grief fled away. We then sat down to drink together, and I remained by her side all the night, delighted with her company, for I had never seen her like in my whole life. And in the morning, when we were both full of joy, I said to her, Shall I take thee up from this subterranean place, and release thee from the jinn? But she laughed and replied, Be content and hold thy peace, for every ten days one day shall be for the jinn and nine for thee. I persisted, however, being overcome with passion, and said, I will this instant demolish this kube upon which the inscription is engraved, and let the ifrit come, that I may slay him, for I am predestined to kill ifrits. On hearing this, she turned pale and exclaimed, By Allah, don't do it. Then she recited, If there is something that will destroy you, protect yourself from it. She added more lines, You look for separation, but rein in the horse that seeks to head the fields. Patience, for times nature is treacherous, and at the end companions part. She entreated me to refrain, but paying no attention to her words, I kicked the kube with violence, upon which she exclaimed, The ifrit hath arrived. 
Did I not caution thee against this? Verily thou hast brought a calamity upon me, but save thyself, and ascend by the way thou camest. Night 13 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the thirteenth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shanshah, that the second dervish said to the lady of the house, In the excess of my fear, I forgot my sandals and my axe, and when I had ascended two steps, turning round to look for them, I saw that the ground had opened, and there rose from it an ifrit of hideous aspect, who said, Wherefore is this disturbance which thou hast alarmed me, and what misfortune hath befallen thee. She answered, No misfortune hath happened to me, excepting that my heart was contracted, and I desired to drink some wine to dilute it, and rising to perform my purpose, I fell against the kube. Thou liest, wild woman, he exclaimed, and looking about the palace to the right and left, he saw the sandals and the axe, and said to her, These are the property of none but a man, who hath visited thee. I have not seen them, she answered, until this instant. Probably they caught to thee. This language, said he, is absurd, and will have no effect upon me, thou shameless woman. And so saying, he stripped her of her clothing, and tied her down, with her arms and legs extended to four stakes, and began to beat her, urging her to confess what had happened. For myself, being unable to endure her cries, I ascended the stairs, overpowered by fear, and arriving at the top, replaced the trap door as it was at first, and covered it over with earth. I repented bitterly of what I had done, and reflecting upon the lady and her beauty, and how this wretch was torturing her after she had lived with him five and twenty years, and that he tortured her only on my account, and reflecting also upon my father and his kingdom, and how I had been reduced to the condition of a woodcutter, I repeated this verse. When fortune bringeth thee affliction, Console thyself by remembering that one day thou must see prosperity and another day difficulty. I then recited, If one day time afflicts you with disaster, ease and hardship come each in turn. Returning to my companion, the tailor, I found him waiting my return as if he were placed in a pan upon burning coals. I passed last night, said he, in anxious heart on thy account, fearing for thee from some wild beast or other calamity. Praise be to Allah for thy safe return. I thanked him for his tender concern for me, and entered my apartment, and as I sat mediating upon that which had befallen me, and blaming myself for having kicked the kube, my friend the tailor came in to me, and said, In a shop is a foreigner who asked for thee, and he has thy axe and sandals. He came with them to the woodcutters and said to them, I went out at the time of the call of the Muidin to morning prayer and stumbled upon these and know not whom they belong. Can ye guide me to their owner? The woodcutters recognized your axe, said the tailor. The woodcutters therefore directed him to thee. 
he is sitting in my shop, so go out to him and thank him, and take thy axe and thy sandals. On hearing these words, my countenance turned pale, and my whole state became changed. And while I was in this condition, the floor of my chamber clove asunder, and there rose from it the stranger, and lo, he was the chin. He had tortured a lady with utmost cruelty, but she would confess nothing. So he took the axe and the sandals, and said to her, If I am Jar Jis, of the descendant of Iblis, I will bring the owner of this axe and these sandals. Accordingly, he came with the pretense before mentioned to the woodcutters, and having entered my chamber without granting me any delay, seized me and soared with me through the air. He then descended and dived into the earth and brought me into the palace where I was before. Here I beheld the lady stripped of her clothing and with blood flowing from her sides and tears trickled from my eyes. The jinn then took hold of her and said, Wild woman, this is thy lover. Whereupon she looked at me and replied, I know him not, nor have I ever seen him until this instant. The jinn said to her, With all this torture wilt thou not confess? She answered, Never in my life have I seen him before, and it is not lawful in the sight of Allah that I should speak falsely against him. Then said he, If thou know him not, take this sword and strike off his head. She took the sword and came to me and stood over my head, but I made a sign to her with my eyebrow, while tears ran down my cheek. She replied in a similar manner, Thou art he who hath done all this to me. I made a sign to her, however, that this was a time for pardon, conveying my meaning in the manner thus described by the poet. Our signal in love is the glance of our eyes, and every intelligent person understandeth the sign. Our eyebrows carry on an intercourse between us. We are silent, but love speaketh. Inwardly I was reciting. My glance expresses the words that are on my tongue, and my love reveals what is concealed within. We met as the tears were falling. Though I was silent, my eyes spoke of you. She gestured, and I understood the meaning in her eyes. I signed to her with my fingers, and she understood. Our eyebrows settled the affair between us, and we kept silence, but love spoke. And when she understood me, she threw the sword from her hand, O oh my mistress, and said, How can I cut off the head of someone whom I do not know, and who has done me no harm? My religion does not allow this. Then she stepped back, and the jinn said, It is not easy for you to kill your lover and not admit what he did. Like feels pity for like. Then he turned to me and said, Young man, I suppose that you too don't recognize her. I said, Who is she? I have never seen her before. Then take this sword, saying, Strike off her head, and I will liberate thee, and do thee no harm. By this I shall be sure that you don't know her at all. I replied, Good, and quickly approaching her, raised my hand, but she made a sign as though she would say, I did no injury to thee, whereupon my eyes poured with tears, and I did not fail you. Is this the way that you repay me? I understood her meaning and signed to her with my eyes. 
I shall ransom you with my life, and it was as though our inner tongues were reciting. How many a lover has used his eyes to tell his loved one of the secret that he kept with a glance that said, I know what happened. How beautiful is a glance, how elegant the expressive eye. The one writes with his eyelids, the other recites with the pupil of the eye. Throwing down the sword, I said, O mighty Jin and valiant hero, if a woman deficient in sense and religion see it not lawful to strike off my head, how is it lawful for me to do so to her, and especially when I have never seen her before in my life? I will never do it, though I should drink the cup of death and destruction. There is affection between you, said the jinn. The two of you know how to pay each other back for favors but I shall show you the consequence of what you have done. And taking the sword, he struck off one of the hands of the lady, then the other, after this her right foot, and then her left foot. Thus with four blows, he cut off her four extremities, while I looked on, expecting my own death. She then made a sign to me with her eye, and the Ifrit observing her exclaimed, Now thou hast been guilty of incontinence with thine eye, and with a blow of his sword struck off her head, after which he turned towards me and said, O man, it is allowed us by our law, if a wife be guilty of incontinence, to put her to death. This woman I carried off on her wedding night when she was twelve years of age, and she was acquainted with no man but me, and I used to pass one night with her in the course of every ten days in the garb of a foreigner. And when I discovered of a certainty that she had been unfaithful to me, I killed her. But as for thee, I am not convinced that thou hast wronged me with respect to her. Yet I must not leave thee unpunished. Choose, therefore, what injury I shall do to thee. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 8. First, let's look at the terms that were used in this episode. Debt of blood, serious obligation, usual payment contemplated is blood for blood, has to be paid by blood. Kettle drums, musical instruments in the percussion family, primary instrument of the cavalry along with trumpets, iblis. Leader of the Shaitan in Islam was thrown out of heaven after he refused to prostrate himself before Adam. Seven readings, rules of recitation for the Quran, according to seven prominent personalities, who are Nafi ibn Khatir, Abu Amr ibn Amir, Asim, Al Kisai, and Hamza. Muidin or Muizin issues a call to prayer for one of the minarets of a mosque. Highwayman, a thief who robs travelers on the road. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary. Subsisting, maintaining or supporting oneself, especially at a minimal level. Amnity, positive, active, and typically mutual hatred or ill will. Alighted, to come down from something or to descend from the air and come to rest. Accordance, agreement or conformity. The act of granting something or as if to come by chance. Purposely, with deliberate or express purpose. Censurers, estimate or judge. Lament, to mourn aloud or to express 
sorrow, mourning, or regret, often demonstratively, insensible, incapable or bereft of feeling or sensation, or unconscious, senseless, uttereth. Third person singular simple present indicative form of utter. Wretch, a miserable person, one who is profoundly unhappy or in great misfortune, or a base, despicable, or wild person. Inflamed, to excite to excessive or uncontrollable action or feeling, to make more heated or violent. Reprimand, to reapprove sharply or censure formally, usually from a position of authority. Inadvertence, a result of inattention or oversight. Vicissitudes, the quality or state being changeable or a favorable or unfavorable event or situation that occurs by chance. Abode, the place where one lives or a temporary stay. Perplexed, filled with uncertainty or full of difficulty. Calamities, a disastrous event marked by by great loss and lasting distress and suffering. Abject, sunk to or existing in, in a low state or condition, very bad or severe. Pallid, lacking sparkle or liveliness, deficient in color. Coverlet, bedspread, ornamental cloth cover for a bed. Prostrated, stretched out with face on the ground in adoration or submission or Reduced to submission, helplessness, or exhaustion. Counterance, a person's face or facial expression. Pretense, a claim made or implied. An inadequate or insincere attempt to attain a certain condition or quality. Incontinence, failure to restrain sexual appetite. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.